evening, everyone. Now, those of you who were here last week, uh, I remember I gave a talk, which was about a rather grisly kind of koan about a boy who got his finger cut off, and because uh, he was imitated, the teacher used to go around, and every, whenever whenever anyone asked him a question, he answered by putting up his finger. Like he didn't answer with words. And there was a boy in the temple who started to imitate the teacher and would go around doing this. So one day the teacher saw him do it and he cut off the boy's finger. All the blood, you know, pouring out. And the boy, he went, hey! The boy was enlightened. <laughs> There's a few violent koans in Zen. So I thought, I think we were on a violent koan, I'd get on a roll with violent koan. <laughs> so another violent koan. You know, children, just as a sidetrack before I go into the koan, um, my first teacher, Robert Aitken, um, his wife, Anne Aitken, was a, um, uh, a Zen student as well, you know, I knew her very well. And she was a very, um, very um, elegant, uh, kind, sort of southern belle kind of lady, you know, very refined. And she used to be a, a school teacher. And um, so she was this very sweet-natured person. I remember her saying once, you know, being a, being a school teacher, and she said it with a really wicked smile on her face. She said, children just love violent stories. <laughs> <laughs> so we have, here we have another violent story. Nansing kills the cat. Once the monks of the eastern and western Zen halls were quarrelling about a cat, Nansen held up the cat and said, You monks! If one of you can say a word of Zen, I will spare the cat. If you can't say anything, I'll put it to the sword. No one could answer, so Nansen finally slew it, slew it, killed the cat, cut it in two. In the evening, when Joshu returned, Nansen told him what had happened. Joshu thereupon took off his sandals, put them on his head and walked off. Nansen said, if you'd been here, I could have spared the cat. So this story is about how um, people get caught up in, in not only in their own mind but also in relationships sort of arguing over things and caught up in what we refer to in Buddhism as dualistic thinking. Now, dualistic thinking pervades so much of our the nonsense that goes through our heads. We get caught up in right and wrong and better and worse and good and bad and um, and as I wrote in this book I wrote on relationships, is that dualistic thinking leads to dualistic relationships. So as much as we get caught up in arguments about this and that and this and that and different perceptions, then, then relationships divide as well into, they get polarised. And they get polarised into, doing couple therapy, you know, you see people getting polarised into one person being rational all the time and the other person being emotional. You know, one person being a pursuer and another a distancer. Mm -hmm. One person being over-functioning, the other under-functioning. Um, and they're all, they're all the acting out or the playing out of dualistic thinking which pervades our life. We get caught up in it. And one of the, one of the most important aspects about Zen training and what really distinguishes it between some other other. Uh, spiritual schools and also other schools of Buddhism 
is that Zen just cuts through abstraction all the time. It's just a cutting through of abstract thinking, abstract thinking, coming down to just this. Right? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you a funny story about abstractions, which is a contemporary story. Do you know it's been in the media a lot about um, these, these um, anti-bullying programs and so on they have in schools? Well, the political correctness goes so just so extreme that they they were suggesting that um, um, they not even use the words boys and girls, you know, in education because it's a social construction. That we even even went so far as to say that they, we shouldn't even talk about penises and vaginas because they were social constructions <laughs> as well. And my friend the other day told me there was this. Um, cartoon appeared in a in a paper in Melbourne and in the in the cartoon there's a woman facing a man and she says to him is that a social construction you've got in your pocket <laughs> or you're just glad to see me <laughs> yeah. cutting through all the nonsense about abstractions uh-huh. and so Zen practice really um, takes us out of this whole um, philosophical Buddhist abstraction that you can get caught up in. And uh, you could imagine that um, with the um, monks, one one group of monks came from the East Hall and the other came from the West Hall arguing over this cat. And you could just imagine some of the philosophical questions that they're arguing over, you know. (laughs) Like fill in the empty space. Do you know, is the cat her Buddha nature or not? Yes, no, yes, no, and all the rationalizations that come with it. Or maybe it was a, an ethical argument about whether we should really have cats in Zen temples, do you know, because the cats eat mice and that's a violent act. You know, so maybe we should have them or maybe we shouldn't have them. It might sound silly, but people everywhere in organizations get caught up in this silliness. Academics. Yeah. Huh? Academics. Academics, yeah. It's one of the worst cases, yeah. yeah. It's not just academics, though. They, it, all of us do, you know. Everyone does. Um, but that's the stuff we get caught up in, you know. And even the silly stuff that goes on in relationships, you know, people get caught up in silly arguments about whether men are more intelligent than women or women more intelligent than men, you know. And um, somehow we like to entertain ourselves with the drama of it. And so here we have um, Nansen using an opportunity, comes along to see these, these monks arguing about the cat and some philosophical question, so he turns it into a Zen teaching. Give me a, give me a, give me a word of Zen or I'll cut it in two. And then he cuts it in two. Um, whether he really cut it in two or not is another matter. <laughs> Because Zen has a lot of theatre in it, and um, there used to be a, a a really great Japanese Zen teacher who was um, Joko's teacher, as well as Robert Aitken's teacher called Yasutani Roshi. And whenever, whenever he used to give a Dharma talk on on this um, koan, you know, and he gave the koan, and came to the part about you know Nansen cutting cutting the cat into a kind of wing. <laughs> it's just a mime. Mm-hmm. So whether Nansen really cut the cat in two or whether he mimed it, it doesn't really matter. But the point is, is that Zen training is not filling your head up with more and more 
Buddhist literature and, and philosophy and theology or um, spiritual um, philosophy as well. It's cutting right through that. Mm -hmm. yeah. You want to practice then? Just walk down the street, mm -hmm. one foot after the other. Mm -hmm. Do you want to, want to practice then? Just drink your tea. Mm -hmm. If you want to practice then, when you're sick, just be sick. Mm -hmm. Want to practice then when you die? Just die. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's nothing complicated about it. But that's the challenge of it. We all get caught up in complication, and here we have a great teaching of one of the great Japanese, one of the great Chinese then teachers, just using an opportunity to cut right through. So your challenge and my challenge is to apply that in our everyday life. Mm -hmm. And um, Joshu, who was considered to be one of really one of the great um, Chinese then teachers, um, and he was often referred to as the kind of like the second Buddha, just like St. Francis is kind of considered the second Christ. And um, so Nansen relays the story to Joshu, and Joshu hears the story, takes off his sandals and places them on his hat, head and walks off. Now there's a meaning to this in Chinese culture, to, do, to take your sandals off and put them on, on your head um, is a sign of mourning. Mm -hmm. So um, Joshua heard the, heard the story and he presented an act of mourning. Mm -hmm. If you ever work on this as a koan, which is a really interesting koan, one of the questions that you'll be asked is, what is the central act of the koan? And if you can respond to that question, you'll understand it. And if you can understand it, then you can bring that insight into your everyday life. 